So this is officially episode two of season one. Only God knows how many times and how many episodes shall be. I will tell you that I do things like this because I enjoy doing them. Um, it's fun to have an audience. Uh, however, um, I wouldn't do it if I personally didn't find it enjoyable and hopefully others find it enjoyable too. So first of all, I want to explain the name Birkegaard. Uh This is a name that a friend of mine that I went to college with called me one time and I absolutely loved it. I adopted it on the spot. I probably would owe him some royalties if I ever made a dime, but I haven't made any money. So, uh, so far, at least specifically with the Birkegaard name, so I can't really pay him royalties out of nothing. Zero times zero is zero. Uh, nonetheless, I like the name. I use it for my Instagram account, which is private, but you can, uh, you can ask to join as long as I let you in. I use it for my Twitter account. Uh, I use it for my YouTube account, uh, which is mostly about craft beer. So, you know, I got a little bit of a multimedia thing going on here. Uh, my name is Eric, E-R-I-C. Last name is Birker, B-I-E-R-K-E-R. Soren's name is somewhat similar. It's key, it's K, Kierkegaard, K-I-E-R-K-E, no R after that, G-A-A-R-D. So it's a very Danish sounding name, of course. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second thing, I want to take a screenshot of this book, The 18 Upbuilding Discourses. I've seen it on Amazon. It's ridiculously priced. It's very high at this point. There's probably other places to find it. I don't know for sure. And I actually read this book. Uh, I didn't really indicate that yesterday in the podcast, that I have actually read the entire book all the way up to um, like the notes in the back. Um, close, actually, um, entries from Kierkegaard's journals and papers. So that's a little bit different than the 18 Upbuilding Discourses. So I have a post-it note there, so I assume anything after that has not been read. And I see evidence of me underlining things in the book. So my typical way, when I get a book I really, really like, and I don't intend to try to sell it or give it to somebody, I will mark it up with pen, uh, underline uh, the... the um, you know, the lines of the sentences of the paragraphs that stick with me for some reason. Uh, I have no problem doing that. I don't do highlighters. They tend to get kind of yellow over time and kind of disgusting looking. Like they're already yellow, but kind of a bad yellow, kind of a decayed yellow. It's more accurate to say. It's not a strong yellow, fluorescent yellow anymore. It's kind of a dying yellow, the pale yellow sun that's just fading away. Uh, so I use pen. I use pen to do so. Um... And I uh, then transfer sometimes, not always, but sometimes I will transfer the underlined uh, sentences or paragraphs to a separate um, memo pad. Uh, it's like an artist pad. And so I did that for a few years. And so the quotes that I have from uh, this book were first underlined in the book. And I can show you the book and prove that <laughs> if you doubt. And then I would um, write the actual quote into my to my artistic notepad, which is an eight and a half by 11 blank sheet on a spiral. At some point, I want to create a Google Doc of all the different books I'm reading and, and transfer my handwritten notes into a Google Doc. That, that's the goal. Uh, so we'll see. So I went and looked at page 19, which I talked about yesterday. Let me give you a fuller context of the quote because I'm not sure uh, the quote that I wrote provides enough information. So... How then should we face the future when the sailor is out on the ocean, when everything is changing all around him, uh, when the waves are born and die, he does not stare down into the waves because they are changing. 
He looks up at the stars. Why? Because they are faithful. They have the same location now that they had uh, for our ancestors and will have for generations to come. By what means does he conquer the changeable? By the eternal. By the eternal one can conquer the future because the eternal is the ground of the future and therefore through it the future can be fathomed. So the cheerful disposition, it's a little bit further down, that has not yet tasted life's adversities, that has not been educated in the school of sorrow, has not been formed by the dubious wisdom of experience, approves of this expectancy with its whole heart, since it expects victory in everything, in all battles, in all spiritual trials, or more correctly, it expects to be victorious without a struggle. So he goes on and on and on and on. And these 18 upbuilding discourses are actually prefaced uh, by a, uh, a scripture verse from the Bible. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard was a Christian, and he was a faithful Christian. He had some battles and some uh, anger, probably, is a good way of saying it, at the uh, Danish National Church, the Lutheran Church of Denmark, because he thought that it attracted the wrong kind of people, people that were either looking for security or people that are looking for money or status in the community. It didn't, it didn't attract people that were eagerly and expectantly searching for truth. So uh, Soren was an outsider. He did some battles with the clergy and uh, elements of the ecclesiastical authorities. He was not considered a friend. But in reading his, uh, his scripture verses, I don't see anything heterodox here, anything weird. His interpretations are unique for sure, but they're not weird. I'm not saying like Jesus had a girlfriend and, you know, he was not resurrected, but was kidnapped by UFO or taken up by UFO. A friend of mine sent me a screenshot of that today because we get really f weird Facebook ads. And I got a Facebook ad for a big bag of spitballs today. So I screenshot it and sent it to him once again. Facebook is giving me you know, targeted ads that don't make any sense. And then he sent me a screenshot of Jesus was taken up by UFO. So there you go. So this uh, scripture verse that he uses for uh, the, this uh, first um, 18 uh, of 18 discourses, the epistle, the apostle Paul writes to the Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 to the end. So that's what it was. And uh, I don't start taking notes on it until I hit the one that I, that I read with you. I mean, I, just because just I don't underline something doesn't mean it didn't compel me to think or something. But when I underline it, definitely means something. So this is back in the days when sailors had limited uh, tools and utensils and technology to find out uh, where to go uh, when they were sailing. So the stars were one common way. I always find it interesting that uh, people from Indonesia and from that area of the world, Hawaii, there's pretty good evidence that these, uh, these people traveled great distances over the Pacific Ocean using the stars uh, without uh, advanced navigation. That was kind of poo-pooed by a lot of Western nautical minds for many years and people that know history. However, uh, you know, some, uh, some people uh, who were sailors of that of that area of the world was seeking to show that it was possible that you didn't have to have all the advanced instrumentation to go from, let's say, Malaysia to Hawaii. Um, they did so using the stars and the tides. They know the tides very well. Like people that live on the ocean and are out on the ocean a lot, uh, if they're familiar with it after a period of time, they, the tides are also apparently a, a pointer 
like a path would be on a mountain or something. It, it kind of shows direction and shows uh, other things. So this is a good verse. Um, the book is 18 Upbuilding Discourses, Soren Kierkegaard, edited and translated by Howard V. Hong and Edna H. Hong, H-O-N-G, with introduction and notes. This is only the beginning of uh, Soren's writings. I mean, this is a good book for sure. But the man was prolific. Uh, this was po uh, copyrighted in 1990, the first edition by the Princeton University Press, 41 William Street, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. And like I said, I've seen this on Amazon. Last time I checked, it wasn't affordable though. So that was the deal on that thing. You know, I, I looked at some pod. I've been searching for a podcast on uh, Soren Kierkegaard, like an ep like more than just an episode, but somebody who dedicates a podcast to Soren Kierkegaard. And I was rather amazed that it's really sparse, at least on iTunes. I mean, I haven't searched the other um, formats exclusively, but you know, just looking around, there was a, a college, St. Olaf's or something, up in Minnesota or Michigan or something that had a, a coffee house about Soren, and then they kind of petered off, like, you know, how blogs used to be really important or really interesting or, you know, something people worked on, and then it just kind of lost favor in the, you know, in the direction of people now doing more, like, multimedia things and TikTok, you know, five seconds of something or ten seconds, whatever, or tweets, you know, just, like, low, low investment in terms of... Um, at least the time footage they may work on a basketball shot that they're trying to show that they made the first time but they've been doing it for five hours or whatever you never know what the backstory is on even the shortest videos uh, might have took, taken somebody uh, months or days at least to do it uh, so uh, yeah I'm surprised uh, you know Soren is is ripe for a resurrection literally uh, he has a lot to say he spoke to the internal world that every person has, there's the objective reality that's outside of us, and then there's the subjective side inside of us, which is interprets the out, outward uh, reality. And it's kind of unusual. He's not arguing for relativism, relativism but he is arguing that we see things differently. Uh, we can have an experience happen and process it kind of in a way that makes sense for us, but may not be true for someone else. Um, uh, there's a lot of examples of that, um, and it's not necessarily factual, and this is like a good example, perhaps, of like career direction. People pray to God, oh Lord, give me wisdom in terms of what you want me to do. It's not really a factual question in the sense that you can't really discover it by just... Uh, you know, asking people like, oh, it's got to be a factual question. You know, it's got to, like, it's got to be apparent. It's got to be, because it's not any easier for someone else. There's pointers to it, like, what are you good at? What do you like to do? Uh, does the lifestyle, that career appeal to you? Like, if you're a teacher, maybe you have a little bit of summer off. Not always, you know, you're working on other things, but, you know, it just, or, you know, you like to work nights. And are you one of these people that can, um, work the second shift which isn't popular you know that might be something that someone's really into i got picked up by an uber driver in detroit because i was like not real sure about the neighborhood at the train station going to my hotel when it was like 2 30 in the morning and she picked me up and said yeah it's a probably good thing that you called because the area that you have to walk through is kind of like uh, it has a lot of homeless shelters and a lot of people lingering around and so it wouldn't have been dangerous however you would have been asked about uh, a lot of times, uh, um, whether you want to give money to somebody, and it gets uncomfortable because you have to you have to play that correctly in order to not to offend people and be respectful, but you could decline and all that. 
So she's a night owl. The person said, you know, I used to, you know, work a day job and I don't like it. I like the night. So she was a creature of the night and worked from like midnight until eight in the morning being an Uber driver in Detroit. So that was an interesting discussion. She said, I can't sleep anyway. Like she's a night person. So uh, she sleeps during the day, I suppose. So you have to find a career that kind of matches your interests, your abilities. And, you know, ability is, is something that's measurable to some extent. Now, people have to have experiences with things in that, in that area that they may have ability because it's unrefined, it's unprocessed, it hasn't been brought to light. So, like, somebody who would grow up in a very neglected environment might be a great musician, but never had the opportunity to play guitar. Nobody handed them an instrument, nobody gave them a lesson, nobody told her how to um, do certain chords or get a book or you know whatever the good thing is that even most kids can afford a, a phone of some type these days that has access to the web and it's really the way out for a kid that's motivated they might be able to access technology through their phone that they wouldn't have been able to do in the old days through other more traditional contemporary means that existed so if somebody grows up in a neglected environment, they, they might not get exposed to certain things. Like somebody really might love to travel, but because their family is in limited means or like to stay home or have never left their hometown, there are people like that. They're not going to know that they love travel until they do it. So ability does sit inside somebody like gold would sit on the ground. It has to be drawn out. Now, everybody has different abilities in different areas, and somebody who uses 100% of their ability... Uh, versus somebody who may have more ability but only uses 50% because they're not passionate about it or they're bored or they don't like it or whatever, you know, chances are the first person's going to excel more because they're using more of what they have. So we all know examples of uh, maybe athletes, like Larry Bird's a good example. You know, he did certain things really well. He was a good shooter, had great eyesight, excellent passer, but the dude was slow. He was a slow white boy. Now he was tall. But his slowness actually was an advantage because, you know, basketball players are used to playing fast and, you know, and a player who's slow actually throws the defense off if they're crafty. You know, you can't be slow and clumsy, but if you're slow and you're crafty and you have, uh, you know, interesting head movements and interesting fakes and ball movement and stuff like that, you know, it's not to say disadvantage, but Larry Bird would be the first person to say he wasn't the greatest athlete during his reign as one of the best players in the NBA. Um, he was a good athlete. He had to be. He couldn't be a terrible athlete. But he he would say there's no way that he would be con- been considered a top athlete in the NBA during his, his career. He just got a lot out of what he had, and he had a fierce uh, desire to win. And he also liked to talk a lot of smack. He was pretty cocky and can back it up. He had confidence. So just an example. There are other examples, too, of course, of people that, you know, by, by sheer force of will, squeezed out of that orange of ability every drop of juice that could come out. Um, so, but usually gifting is one of the things you want to look at, and there's aptitude tests that help people. Again, they have to be exposed to certain areas in order to know that that ability to get developed. But then interest has a lot to do with it. Values has a lot to to do with it. If somebody feels really called to um, help humanity, but gets in a in a in a career that could lead to the destruction of jobs, you know, like the downsourcing and outsourcing of of employment overseas to low wage workers who don't have workers' rights in places like China or Vietnam or something. You know, they may have an ethical problem with doing that. Like I like finance, I like working with companies that are distressed, but I don't like the idea of breaking the pension system and all those people that work don't get any money. 
giving a golden parachute to the leadership and then outsourcing the brand to uh, China where they can pay, uh, pay people a lot less to the, do the same thing. Like they might have an ethical problem with that career. You know? So there's possibly there's a values conflict. So ability, interest, uh, personality style, are you kinesthetic, are you hands-on, do you like to work with things uh, physically? Um, that's just a personality style, not necessarily an intelligence thing. It can be to some extent in certain areas. Uh, then that's how career development starts to be like a compass. Like you start getting a direction, they try things out. Oh, I kind of like this, I kind of don't like this, you know. And then, you know, people can transition to new things. They find a part of their career that they really, really enjoy. You know, like maybe they like teaching. They never thought they'd be a teacher, but let's say they're a nurse. And then um, they like instructing new employees or newer younger uh, nurses and how to do their jobs. So they might become a supervisor, or they might decide to become a college professor, um, and maybe not make as much money, but they like it so much more because they're like engaged in helping the next generation become prepared for that career or that occupation. So just a good example. I know I've really gone off some, some tangents here, but hopefully you find it helpful. Uh, I don't want to get too mental about preparing these podcasts, but the downside is I could really roam and I could really go off track so I think if we could just look at uh, Soren's quote again here a bit uh, on 19 as we finish up. He pretty much promises that uh, you're not going to be victorious without a struggle. Now, there's sometimes an easy win in life. Sometimes things fall on your lap. Sometimes, you know, a person just gets lucky, right place, right time. But most of the time, <clears throat> success is the result of a lot of struggle. It might not be apparent to people on the outside looking in but it could be definitely the case as uh, might some of that might be silent behind the scenes so success is often a question of first building down into the roots developing root system in the soil and then eventually manifesting that that production that plant of success above ground and then producing fruit you know that that's a process so every plant has its own way of doing that of course so i think that's where we're going to leave it today